1: Well good morning everyone, You're tuned to community radio 3CR time is just after 7.30 and of course it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy, first up of course we have to welcome back Stephen Ryan from Dicksonia Rare Plants. Good morning Stephen. Good
2: morning Pam and good morning all of our listeners out there and what a lovely day it's going to be too.
1: It's perfect for gardening, not yeah. too hot. No, it's, it's just lovely.
2: I mean, I got stuck into quite a few jobs yesterday. It was great fun, mm. pulling out weeds and getting things sorted and, mm. you know, trying to, <laughs> trying to get things tidy before summer really gets underway, because <laughs> it's always that last rush to get those weeds before they seed all over the oh, place. Yes. Oh, uh, yes. So, yes, I was madly rushing around, pulling them out yesterday, flickweed and cleavers and... Herb Robert, and you name it, I've got most of them. (laughs) (laughs) So there you go.
1: I've got an abundance of something you've got in front of you, which. Oh. <laughs> yes, is a nasty word in my vocabulary at the moment. Oh, <laughs> it's dear. Gone well, maybe
2: we shouldn't talk about. Oh, we'd anything. better. No, we, we will. will later. This one's a nice one. That's yes. a nice yeah.
1: one. Yes. Yeah. And it's in a pot. Yes, that's That's right. always a good place <laughs> yes. to see them. <laughs> anyway, we'll get to that later. As I was saying to you earlier in the week, um, it's been so dry.
2: It is. It's very dry. I mean,
1: we've had the odd. Deluge of rain, but it's it's not getting down there. Yeah,
2: my garden soil is already hydrophobic. Yes. Um, and it's getting hard to get moisture down into it. Uh, and uh, yes, and I'm rushing around trying to keep things alive. And uh, um, I. <sighs> I ended up having to go and help uh, somebody remove some plants out of their garden last week because uh, they're shifting, and it's another one of those situations where a house has been sold and it's going to be bulldozed oh. and uh, two units put on the block. Right. A beautiful garden in Glen Waverley, uh, full of great trees, and in fact, you probably know who I'm talking about. I know about. exactly yes. who you're talking about. And so I went down the other day, and we, and we were told that they weren't even going to put tenants into the place or anything before they they were just going to leave it empty for two months. Right. So nobody will be there to water. Nobody will be there to do anything. And then the whole thing's going to be bulldozed. And so I was digging up clumps of clavies, I was. Di- I dug up the biggest bird nest fern you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> uh, a huge stag came off the side of a, a fence. Um, uh, I came home with a van load of stuff. And then I had to plant it all out. And now I'm going to have to try and keep it alive at this time of year. But, you know, sometimes these things happen and that's all you can do.
1: Ah, oh, and uh, is all this going back into their new garden? Uh,
2: no, most of it's going to stay in mine. Okay. Uh, and small bits will go back. Right. Because uh, they're, uh, like, they're, they're downsizing. Yes. yes. They're, they're, the house they've bought isn't that much smaller, but the garden is a lot smaller. Right. Um, and so Neil and Joe will just be doing their thing in a much smaller space. So uh, in the winter I went down and because they'd already sold basically by – I think, the end of July. Mm. Uh, So I went down and dug up a couple of weeping maples and a contorted filbert and, you know, quite a lot of those sort of things, which I've now got put into a little crache in the side of the nursery uh, and looking after for them. Right. Uh, And I took some cuttings off a few things um, uh, that that Neil particularly wanted that I know aren't available but I can't keep through the winter, so I'll have to keep them going until the autumn and then rush them down to Melbourne again, (laughs) Um, like the blue Thunbergia creeper and the New Zealand bird catching plant the Pisonia with right. it's big variegated leaves fantastic thing but the frost will knock it out for sure up my way yep. uh, so I took some cuttings of those which I've already struck um, so yes yeah, so I've become sort of a plant-minding system <laughs> for the time being. But, I mean, I will gain from this because I think the, the stag stays with me. Most of the clivias will stay with me. And there was a big patch of that big orange Belgian hybrid one and some nice yellow, mm. so I was quite happy to get all that. Mm. So, yeah, so my garden has been um, lucky in a sense. But uh, now I've got all this stuff, I mean, the clivias will be fine, but a lot of the other stuff I'm going to have to water like mad oh, to, yes. to try and get it settled in before too much more heat comes on. Yep. But as I say to people, sometimes the time to do something is when you've got the time to do something. And, you know, even if it's not the right time, better that than to see all these things just go under oh, the bulldozer. Yes,
1: absolutely. And, and
2: it's so sad. I mean, and it drives me insane. I mean, it's not Joe and Neil's fault, but uh, people who buy a place like that with a perfectly good, sound, well-cared-for home on it... With a beautiful garden Absolutely. around it Absolutely,
1: their garden was really beautiful
2: And then to have somebody buy it Who's now going to completely bulldoze oh. it I mean it's such a waste of resources I know. And, uh, and it was a perfectly sound house So what's the point in pulling it down you know, And oh, I just find the whole attitude awful It's horrible isn't it, it you know, So yep. Yeah so oh, well. um, And uh, Craig's asking me to go down again because he's got excited about all the stuff, and I'm thinking, oh, no, I don't don't need another van load of things to bring home, but anyhow. Oh, right. Yeah so, yeah, so that's what I've been doing this week.
1: Yes. Well, I can imagine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. We have to say good morning to Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery. Morning, Craig. Morning,
3: Pam. Morning, listeners. Oh. There's certainly been a beautiful spring in the Dandenongs. Um, I think I could attribute that to the rain we had in February. Yeah. Setting all the buds on the rhododendrons and oh, the okay. and things. It's just been amazing. Right. But... You know, it's going to dry out pretty quickly. I think. Yeah. Yes. Well, we have had quite good rain. Yes, you got it when we didn't sometimes. Yes, uh, yeah, I yeah. think so. It was interesting to,
2: you know, because I'd be chatting to somebody in the Dandenongs and they'd be telling me what a miserably wet day it was and I'm thinking, well, it's not like that over here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. the so,
3: soil's still quite moist yeah. up in the hills. Oh, yeah. you're lucky. Yeah, but it won't be won't last. No. Yeah, there certainly hasn't been much plant rescuing going on. No. But... <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, well, uh, we all do that occasionally. The, um, the teardown in the suburbs is terrible.
2: Oh, it's awful. Yeah. I mean, you've got yeah. what were leafy suburbs slowly being turned into Masses of um, uh, multi dwelling blocks with no space for a tree anymore. And they're
1: going to get hot.
2: Yeah. Yeah, that's right.
1: They're going to yeah. be shocking.
2: Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. So I don't know what you do about it, but. You need to put a dollar value on trees.
2: Well, I think you do. Yeah. There needs to be something. I mean, some of the trees in Joe and Neil's garden are superb. There's a lovely big copper beech. Um, there's, you know, some fabulous stuff that were mm. planted 30 and 40 years ago yep. and more, because I think Neil's been there nearly 60 years. Mm. Um, and, you know, he started gardening right from the beginning. So this is, well, it's almost his first shift, I
3: think. Yeah. There's no, there needs to be an incentive to keep them. Yeah. 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 And I think money's the only way you can do it.
1: Mm. I think you're right. Yeah. I mean, Melbourne City Council have tried to put a value on, on all their street trees and park trees. Yeah. And I think, I think that's got to, that, that whole movement's got to spread.
3: That's right. I think yeah.
1: all the councils need to take up on that and, and start planting more street trees yeah.
3: too. So, some people moved in um, next to one of my clients in the winter and took out an enormous tricolour beach. Oh! Without even knowing what it was. I mean, it was bare. Yeah. I mean, it's just an outrage that ah. people can do that. Yeah. And normally it's too
2: late by the time you find out, too. You can't even go and see these people and say, Do you realise what a precious tree you've got? It's That's already right. gone. And then you go, Oh, you know, because there's almost nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So, yes, it is sad. And I just wish people would wait. That's something in gardening that drives me insane. When people buy a place, they seem to have this sense that they need to stamp their personality on it straight away. Immediately, that's uh, right. And so yeah. they go in and think, oh, that doesn't look much. And they take things out. Mm. Without any sense of what they've hmm. they've taken out, you
1: have to wait a minimum of twelve months. Oh, you yeah. do. You really do. To see exactly, and
2: I say that to everybody that I meet that buys properties up around my area. I say, look, for God's sake, don't do anything yet. Yep. Uh, and if you do feel the need to do something, bring a sample into me or something so that I can tell you what it is before yep. you go yep. nuts and pull things out. Yep. Um, look, it might be some vaguely weedy species tree, which is fine, but you don't know, and especially in an area like the Dandenongs and Macedon, where there's been lots of people planting really good stuff over the Under years, the years that's right. Um, and so you just never know, you know. It that's could be right. something that's no longer available commercially, and so therefore something quite precious mm. um, that people should, in fact, be um, be preserving. Uh, and the same
1: applies costs. to all the bulbs that are hidden under oh, the ground. It's yeah. yeah, so all the
2: small things, these yes. sort of ephemeral things, if you don't wait to see what happens there. Exactly. Um, uh, I remember up at Mount Macedon, there was a garden up there that uh, a, a wealthy Melbourne person bought um, and sent some landscapers in, uh, and they rotary hoed this huge area where all the lilies and Lily of the Valley was. Oh. Yeah and just rotary hoed the whole area uh, because they didn't know it was in there. And... uh all the lium's got turned to mush and most of the lily of the valley got destroyed. Yes. Um, These things take time to establish too, especially yeah. the lily of the valley. Oh, it takes years to build up big colonies. Right. Yeah. And And, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen, uh, well, there was another house on Mount Macedon where some people bought it and they pulled two huge lapagerias down off the back veranda, Whoa. a white one and a pink one, uh, that must have been 30 feet long, thinking it was something that was going to pull the spoutings off. Yeah. Yep. You know, and, and they hadn't waited to see its flowers. They had no idea what they were doing. Mm. And it does. Somebody else took out a weeping cherry because they thought it was deformed <laughs> <laughs> um, and replaced oh, it with a protea of all things. All right. <laughs> oh. yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I do try and step in in a nicest possible way in my area to try and sort of encourage people. Yes. To to look at the heritage. Yeah. There. Do the
3: twelve month cycle. Yeah, and you know, and yep. so if
2: I knew know somebody new has moved into the area, or ask them where they've come from, find out where their property is, and if it's somewhere that I know that could be um, could be important, uh, I you know talk to them and try and convince them to sort of do the right thing and just mm. wait and see what happens. Mm. Uh, yes, unfortunately, a lot don't.
1: No. Oh well. We must move on. We've got oh, uh, yes. a few community announcements to get through. Uh, firstly, next Saturday is the next uh, incredible uh, Coburg food swap. With This is um, held uh, on the first Saturday of every month. So next Saturday is it, 10 o'clock through till 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And uh, there's going to be a workshop on uh, gingerbread folk making and decorating. There you go, which would be great fun, 11 a.m. And... Uh, it's also, uh, there's going to be music from 12 noon. Uh, the nursery is going to be open. Uh, there'll be uh, the pop-up cafe there, a swap table for any of your uh, garden harvest if you've uh, grown too much zucchini or something. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Must be too early for that yet. <laughs> yes, I
1: think so. Yeah, that'll, that'll come. Yes. <laughs> um, there'll also be reiki uh, with Joe Massey. So that's all happening at Pepper Tree Place which is uh, 512 Sydney Road in Coburg. It's there on the corner of Sydney Road and Bell Street in Coburg. So that's uh, next Saturday for the Coburg Food Swap. Now, uh, also next Saturday, Friends of Burnley Gardens are running a short course, uh, fit fruit trees into vertical spaces. Now, it's a summer pruning workshop uh, being held in the Burnley Gardens, led by Chris England of Merrywood Plants and he'll be using the demonstration fruit trees in the Orchard of Burnley uh, to uh, teach you how to summer prune fruit trees and also how to create fabulous espaliers. Now, um, the details for this, uh, as I said, next Saturday at Burnley College, um, you meet uh, at PSL 6, follow the signs there, and then it will also take place out in the field station, 10 a.m. through to 1 p.m., Cost for members of the Friends Group is $55, for non-members $75. Bookings are essential. The telephone number to book is 9035-6861 or email a.smith at unimelb.edu.au and you need to bring your own cleaned and sharp secateurs. Uh, now, also coming up next Sunday, this is sixth of December. Uh, goodness me, the year's nearly gone. <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's going to be, um, uh, well, I guess it's 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 a workshop. It's a Riverdale workshop. Now, this is being held by Open Gardens Victoria, and this is their last event for this year. And um, it's a workshop where you can learn about kitchen gardens, uh, living totally off the grid, biodynamic gardening composts, how to grow uh, an abundance of delicious and nutritious vegetables and fruits, as well as how to set up your own bush food garden. There'll be a light lunch served in the two-acre flower garden and uh, you're welcome to enjoy the various walks included, uh, including along the bordering Yarra River. Now, uh, you do need to book for this, obviously. The price is uh, $90 for the full day. Uh, there is limited availability for this one, and in order to book, you need to go to the website, uh, which is um, Open Gardens Victoria. If you just uh, put that into your search engine, it will come up. Or to email, uh, you email info at opengardensvictoria.org.au to make that booking. Uh, now, let me see. Uh, just a couple of other ones we have here. Um down at Geelong Botanic Gardens, they've got an exhibition. Now, this is running next weekend, both Saturday and Sunday, in the Geelong Botanic Gardens meeting room. And uh, this exhibition has uh, come about uh, through the Friends School of Botanical Art workshops, which were dedicated to uh, the study of gold leaf technique and the methods to apply it to stylized botanical subjects, uh, which were held right Throughout the year. So, the artwork and the merchandise will be for sale. And as I said, next Saturday and Sunday, 10am through to 4pm, all the original artworks and botanical art uh, merchandise will be for sale, cash only. And as I said, it's in the Geelong Botanic Gardens meeting room. Parking is in the car park next to the Friends Nursery at the rear of the gardens. If you'd like more information about it, the friend's number is 5222 6053. A uh, couple more for me to get through. Uh, next Sunday, again, everything seems to be happening next weekend. Next Sunday, um, Sustainable Open Gardens and Tours are having their last uh, open garden for uh, the year. This one is uh, bookings only, Um So you book for the guided tours of the garden on next Sunday. It's uh, $15 the cost there. And to book for it, you need to go to sgaonline.org.au. So that's sgaonline.org.au. The garden is in Epping. It's Cara's Garden. It's 15 Early Bird Way in Epping. And it's a testament to the fact that smaller gardens can be highly productive and attractive while still allowing for family space. Uh, so it's in a new estate where there are small allotments dominated by the actual house. Uh, but uh, this garden has been really well designed to make the most of um, existing sun aspects and soil. Uh, so, but as I say, you can't just rock up to have a look at that garden. You need to book because it will be guided tours only because it is a small garden. Uh, So that booking uh, address, again, is sgaonline.org.au. And finally, um, our very good friends, um, AB and Angus Stewart, have got their big book launch coming up. Now, um, this is going to be held down at uh, the Australian Native Garden, down at Cranbourne. So it's going to be a wonderful day. Uh, So there's a special invitation to everyone to come along to that. It's being held on Sunday the 13th of December. So that's two Sundays from now, 2 o'clock to 3.30. Now, there is a cost, $20 per person or $15 per person if you're a, a member of the friends group or you have a concession card. Now, that includes the talk the launch and light refreshments. It's being held in the auditorium of the Australian Garden uh, down at Cranbourne Gardens which is on the corner of Bellato Road and Botanic Drive in Cranbourne. And uh, as I say, there's going to be uh, Angus and AB will be there. They'll be giving a talk. Then there'll be the official um, book launch uh, which will be launched by our good friend Roger Elliott and Gwen Elliott. Um, and then there will be uh, plenty of time to have a chat. You can be uh, purchase a copy of the book, have it autographed there, whether it's for yourself or as a special Christmas gift um, and there will also be light refreshments there at the end. Now, um, bookings and prepayments are essential for both the talk and the launch for catering purposes. Now, you need to book by the 9th of December and to book, the number is five. Double nine zero, double two, double zero. So that number again is five double nine zero double two double zero. Okay, it's more than time we invited our listeners to join us this morning. If you'd like to ask a gardening question, uh, do give us a call. The number is nine four one nine zero one double five. We have uh, both Stephen Ryan and Craig Wilson in the studio this morning. Or if you'd like to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, the number there is 94198377. Now, um, yes, uh, last Sunday, uh, Millie was on the program and one of the listeners did ring in asking her about um, the book that she had referred to. Now, she sent me through that an email as promised. The name of the book is called A Gardener's Latin, It's by Richard Bird and it's uh, published by National Trust Books in the UK. So I'll just uh, read that out again. A Gardener's Latin is the title of the book. It's written by Richard Bird and it's a National Trust Books from the UK. Hope that helps. Stephen.
2: All right. Well, we can talk about some plants. I'll just mention something that's happening today oh, as well, yes. so I don't you forget. Must do. Um do. Anybody who's interested in the climate change rallies that have been going on all over the place, there's going to be one today in Kyneton. So if anybody's around Kyneton and would like to join in, uh, it's at 2 p.m. today. Um, and you meet at the Quarry Reserve by the river and that will be followed by a clean energy footpath walk uh, oh. to the Mechanics <laughs> Institute. Uh, if anybody's interested and wants to get more information, uh, you can go to the Facebook page, which is Macedon Rangers Green Energy Coalition, uh, or you can call Rob Bakes uh, on five four double two one eight. That's 54221808. Um, and it's a lovely day to be out and about, so why not? Absolutely. Go and get some exercise, stand up for climate um, issues and get yourself involved. Um, and it's good to see some of these country towns getting sort of oh, behind the whole thing. So yes. Yeah, so that's happening today in Kyneton at 2 p.m. So put your walking shoes on and go out and show some support. I think that would be a really good thing to do. All right, now, some plants. Actually, we'll talk about the one that we talked about sort of in passing. We
1: did, yes. yes.
2: Uh, and me being me, uh, every time I have an interesting oxalis in flower, I feel the need to bring it in. And so, you know, I, I know it will give people the nervous shivers at yes, home. Yes, everyone
1: well, will run screaming from the room. Yeah,
2: exactly. Now, this one is a really intriguing oxalis in lots and lots of ways. It's non-bulbous, so it doesn't have little bulbs under it like a lot of the oxalises do. It just has a little creeping... Um, stolen that runs across the surface of the ground. It only grows a couple of centimetres tall, so it's very, very flat. It has pure white double flowers on it, Mm. and it flowers all summer, and it's an evergreen. Okay. Um, And it's called Oxalis Magellanica, and the variegated – oh, not the variegated – the double-flowered form of it is called Nelson. Now, the interesting thing about Oxalis Magellanica, for a long time there were two what looked like identical Oxalises: Magellanica and Lactea. Lactea grows on Mount Kosciuszko and some of the high regions regions in Australia. Uh, Magellanica obviously comes from South America, from the Straits of Magellan area and and further north probably. Uh, It has been decided that they're in fact the same species, Um, but on two different continents. so okay. I'm not quite sure how that works, but no. anyhow, uh, genetically, apparently, Lactea and Magellanica are the same thing. That would make them very old, wouldn't it? Well, I think it must, Craig, yeah. you, you, know, if they date, you know, if they can be on two continents and still yeah. be the same species. Now, I'm assuming the double form arose from the South American stock so I'm not saying that this is necessarily unnative, strictly speaking. Um, but it is intriguing that we've got an oxalis that grows in Kosciuszko, which I might also add is on the endangered species list. So, you know, okay. there you go, not oxi- all oxalises <laughs> can be weeds. Um, and it has the same species growing in South America and it's produced this gorgeous little double white form, like little tiny camellias almost. Um, and it's fantastic for putting in a semi-shaded moist aspect in between pavers. And it'll just run around in between mm. the pavers. It's so flat that you can sort of walk over it without doing any harm. Mm. Uh, it does need to have, be constantly moist. It doesn't like to have seriously dry ground because it's, it's basically an alpine oxalis. Yes. Uh, so it needs a little bit of care and attention. And because it's so so low and flat, you need to make sure before you plant it, if you're going to use it, uh, that the ground is very clean of other weeds first because it doesn't smother weeds terribly well because it's such a tiny plant in its own right so if you plant it somewhere and other weeds come up it'll slowly get swamped out Right,
3: Is sun or shade soon? semi-shade semi-shade um, looks like it yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: yeah so a little bit little bit of morning sun's all right or something like that or filtered sunlight through trees and things but you wouldn't want to put it right out in hot sun yeah um cool. i actually have my tubes of it for sale in a spot where it gets no direct sunlight but it's got plenty of overhead light yeah. and uh and they do well mm. um and You can lift and divide it, obviously, so once you've got the plant going, you can sort of break pieces off with roots on and spread it around, and it's a very pretty little thing, and it makes me smile because uh, when the New South Wales government decided to ban the genus Oxalis, uh, which they uh, announced at a big seminar that was in Melbourne some years ago that they were banning the genus, Little old me jumped up from the audience and said, well, that's fine, but what about Oxalis lactea, which is on the endangered species list and grows on Mount Kosciuszko? And there was dead silence. And I believe later on that the legislation was changed to exclude native species. But what I didn't do on the day, which was silly, I should have done, and I said, what about Oxalis tuberosa, which, of course, is the um, New Zealand yam, which is a vegetable. Yes. And people grow it in their vegetable garden. Uh, So in theory, you're not allowed to grow it in New South Wales. (laughs) Because it's neither a native uh, uh, or have any other way of of getting around it. It's strictly an oxalis. Yes. So in theory, you shouldn't grow it in New South Wales at all because it's illegal. Right. So, yeah, so there you go. So interesting bit of legislation when they... Blanket bandaging this Yes, as I They're always really speak. good
1: at blanket banding. Aren't I don't they? get it. It's completely
2: it. I don't, absurd. It's it is. It's crazy. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what they did to the willows, basically. That's right. Yeah. And I'm still rankling about that because there are quite a number of completely benign willows yeah. that we could all be using in lots of different ways um, that in theory I'm not allowed to grow anymore yep. uh, because they've just all been included under the ban, which includes Salix boydii, which is a sterile hybrid that was found in a bog in Ireland about 1870 and it grows to about 10 centimetres tall. <laughs> you know, I mean, yep. what weedy potential? In fact, I find Salix boydii hard to keep alive. That's right. Uh, and I've got a nice little plant that I got up to about, I don't know, about three or four inches tall and a rabbit came in the other day and ate the whole top of it.
3: It'll come back, won't it? Oh,
2: yes, it's starting to shoot again, but yeah. how frustrating when it only grows a centimetre or so a year, <laughs> yes. and this rabbit came in and went foop, and I oh. came into work and here are these little bare twigs. Um, very frustrating. Oh, yes. Um, so, um, you know, so it's it really important I think that the powers that be um, are seen to be doing the science. Mm. Yeah. And this is where I find it difficult when they say, we're going to ban Salix, or we're going to ban Oxalis or whatever. They're not doing the
3: science. But the science is what they're not doing, That's Right. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, and if they're not doing it, then people who like me, aren't a scientist but are a good gardener and understand a bit about plants, realise that there are plants being swooped up in this thing that they have no right to ban because there's absolutely no
3: problem with those plants. Well, this one certainly doesn't look like it's going to take over your garden. No. Oxalis
2: (laughs) Magellanica will never take over your garden. And, look, if it took over a whole paved area, I'd actually be really pleased because it is very sweet and it flowers for months. Yes. And you've got the little green leaves all year round, the tiny little clovery leaves. Sometimes in the winter the leaves get a slightly coppery-bronzy colour yep. about them, uh, which can be quite pretty. At a brief and glance, you'd say it was an
3: enemy, wouldn't you? It almost does, actually, yeah. Craig.
2: It almost looks like a little wee double anemone or something like that. <laughs> and so it's really cute, and it does prove the point that, you know... Just because one plant in a group is is evil, wicked and nasty, uh, it doesn't mean the rest of them are. Yes. And and so we need to keep the blinkers off yes. uh, on these things. absolutely. So there's my little tirade on Oxalis okay. this morning. <laughs> Looks like we've got some calls coming in.
1: Yes, we have. We'll go first up to uh, Jill from the Herb Society. Morning, Jill. Hi,
0: Pam. Hi, Stephen. And who else is there? Craig. Oh, hi, Craig. Hello. Um, Yes, on Thursday, which is December the third at seven thirty pm, uh, we're having Joy, our treasurer, is going to talk about how she grows her organic herbs and transforms them into products like, oh, peppermint foot balm and other pla- other lovely things that can be used for gifts. And um, we're going to meet at six o'clock at the Burnley. Uh, garden near the herb garden and uh, have our picnic So people need to bring everything they want to have to share and then we have a picnic there from 6 o'clock, then the meeting at 7.30 and then some herb tea supper and some Christmas fair as well. So people need to uh, fast all lunchtime so they can have room for their um, tea and uh, supper. Okay, excellent. Yeah you okay. very much. Thanks, Jill. Um, I've got one question, if that's all right. Yep. Um, I've had quite a lot of um, lilies, um, big Asiatic lilies have been in flower and they're finished now um, and the leaves, you know, are quite healthy and everything else, but they only lasted about oh, a week after that hideous hot couple of days. Like a
2: lot of bulbs did unfortunately, yeah. Jill. Yeah,
0: So I just want to know I'm going to move them to another position for next year. Um, when should I do that?
2: Wait till they die down.
0: Alright. As soon as okay. they've died
2: down lift them. Don't store them like you might a daffodil because lilies don't like to dry out. Um, so lift them and shift them in one action.
0: Okay. So I'll put them to um a spot that's um, not quite so open to the sun. Yeah, look, so a little
2: light. bit, little bit more shade. But don't put them in too much heavy shade because a lot of those lilies need a little bit of sunlight if they're going to flower well. Yeah,
0: yeah, I know where I will put them now. I've got Ooh. a north facing that doesn't get, um, it doesn't get um, any western sun. It's got some western sun, which was dynamite.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And when yeah. you get it as early as we have, a lot of stuff didn't come through that terribly well. <laughs>
0: Okay,
1: thanks very much. Okay, bye, Jill. Bye, Jill. Bye now. And uh, next up we have our Virginia. Good Morning, Virginia.
2: Morning, Pam. Good morning, I was just, Virginia.
4: Just ringing Stephen to ask people to your place. Oh, yes, of course. I should have done that, shouldn't
2: I? I'm terribly <laughs> yes. sorry. Yes. Um, Plant Trust, or GPCAA, uh, is having our Christmas event. Uh, which is coming up uh, on the 6th next Sunday. Uh, we're going to visit the Garden of Alton uh, and have a look around and meet the new owner uh, and have morning tea, and then we're coming down to my place for lunch. Uh, Virginia, have you got the details in front of you, though?
4: No, of course not. They're on my phone. But oh, that'd
2: be right. Um, yes. I'm just trying to think. Do you remember what the phone number for the office is?
4: No, the phone number's at the Botanic Gardens, so you can ring the Botanic Gardens and they'll put you through. All right, and. And the email is gpcaa at netspace.net.au. Yeah, so if anybody wants to come... Email Don or ring Don on on a Monday.
2: Yeah, and we do need to have people booked so that we know for catering purposes. So if you want to come along, that'd be fantastic, and we'd be very happy to sign you up as a member.
4: (laughs) Yes, it's $30 and $40 for the event.
2: Yeah. So $30 for members, yep. $40 if you're not. And it should be a lot of fun. So uh, Alton's one of the m- magic hill station gardens up on Mount Macedon. Mm. Um, and so I think that should be really exciting for people to have a look around. Uh, and then they can come and visit a couple of national collections in my garden. So that should be fun.
1: So just repeat when it is
4: and what time?
2: It's next December Sunday. the
1: 6th. Mm.
4: Yes. Um, from morning... Morning tea up at Alton, lunch down at Stevens, and it usually is a lot of fun. And with December 6th, as long as it's not too hot, it'll be a lovely day.
2: And if and it is a little on the warmish well side, catered. it'll be cooler, cooler up there than elsewhere. Oh, yes. Mm. Yeah, all right, so that's, thank you for that, Virginia. I'm glad you reminded me. I hadn't brought any paperwork in with me, so I'd forgotten all about it. And I'm even <laughs> going to be one of the hosts, so there you go. <laughs>
1: okay, thanks, Virginia. Thanks, Pam. Bye. Bye. Right next up we have uh, Robert in Phillip Island. Morning, Robert. Hello.
5: How are you all going? We're well. Oh, everything's going great down here. Had some beautiful rain right a couple of days ago, and uh, things are looking nice and green at the moment. The um, my tomatoes are not uh, not coming on as well as they usually do. I don't know if I I'm the only one. No,
2: you're probably not the only one. Um, because we've been getting some quite cool weather, yes. uh, it is checking the tomatoes. They're taking their time. I know mine are sort of not anywhere near as big as I would have expected no. by this time no. of the year either. No. Uh, so it's just a weather-related thing, and you've just got to sort of grin and bear it.
5: Yes. Steve, the, uh, the other thing, uh, well, the panel could ask, I was up at John Smith's, uh, great daffodil grower up at Tires. And John's got, got, got some lovely uh, bulbs from Jackson, you know, David Jackson from Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Now, John's collected quite a bit of seed. Uh, that, is that so that the seed not necessarily will throw the same colour?
2: In fact, the seed will very likely not throw the same colour, right. especially if they're hybrid daffodils, because a lot of the daffodils have been bred and bred and bred for you know, the last yeah. hundred years. Yeah. And so there's a lot of inherent genetic diversity within the plants. Right. Um, and if you do raise daffodils from seed, unless they've been hand pollinated and kept very well isolated from other plants. And even then you can't rely on the hybrids, although the species should be fine. um, uh, You're likely to get all sorts of things. And, Obviously, a fair percentage of them probably won't be as good as the named parent would be. Right. But you just never know. You know, there, there could be something really special in there as long as you're also patient because uh, hybrid daffodils from seed don't normally start to flower till they're about four years old, uh, sometimes older. Yeah. Um, and you should never uh, judge a daffodil by its first flowering. So you should keep it for at least a couple of years to see what its potential is. Uh, And certainly the breeders tend to do that. Uh, So it's a a slowish process, but it can be a lot of fun.
5: Yes, yes. I've noticed some of the – I've seen one or two people raise uh, a beautiful green daffodil, greenish, but Mm. the colour didn't hold – the second or third
2: year. Yeah, yeah, so. it's often the case. So, yes, you do have to be very patient. You can often cull out some really miserable stuff, the first flowering yes. that you know is not going to be any good. Yes. Then you just keep the best of the of the batch. Yes. Uh, and then you need to be really selective. And at the end of the day, if you produce something that you think is special, you really sort of need to know what else is out there yes. because you're very likely to be releasing something that's the same as somebody else yes. has already done. Yes. Um, yes. So you've got to be reasonably confident that you've got something unique before you go to the effort of actually propagating up something and and perhaps naming it.
5: Yes, thanks. Now, could I just quickly ask the panel, okay, we're going into the vegetable garden. What would you recommend now uh, folk who want to grow vegetables from seed and plant seedlings? Then we'll go up to the flower garden. What would you recommend seed, flower seed and flower seedlings this time of year?
2: All right. Veggie garden first, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I'm sowing carrots, I'm sowing beetroots, I'm sowing right. all sorts of root vegetables still, uh, right. and I like to sow them in little successional lots so that I've got them coming on pretty well all yeah. the time. Um, it's still plenty of time to put in beans. Right. Yeah. Um, I haven't even put my zucchinis in yet. Right, no. But <laughs> I will. Spring. Spring.
1: Se- Seedling-wise, um, I'd start thinking about um, your veggies that need a decent hot um, summer. Mm. Right. So I'd be thinking of capsicums, egg yeah, eggplants. Yeah, yeah. But mm. I'd ra- I'd do those as seedlings, not seeds, because right. um, we're getting a bit later in the yeah. year.
6: Yeah.
1: Yes. Um and, and for for seeds, I'd always um, – you always need lots of leafy greens for salads yeah. through yes. summer, and they will come up very quickly. You've just got to keep the water up to them. Yes,
5: mm. yes, yes. Spring onions, can they still go in? Yes,
2: why yeah, not? Yeah, uh, I
5: don't see any reason why not. Um, the Spanish, the red Spanish. could they still the go big in?
2: onions? It's probably oh. you probably do them a little later when you get into the autumn.
1: Yes, yes. I would do them in yeah. autumn too.
2: Um, and uh, I might add, I just lifted most of my garlic the other day, yes. and it all collapsed. So I thought, well, it seems to have gone down a bit early this year. And I have to say, the cloves aren't quite as big as usual. Yes. But you know, I've Use it all right. as green garlic. Yeah, yes. that's
3: fine.
5: Yes, yeah. now up in the we're up now in the flower section. Okay. What would you recommend? Craig?
3: I'd, I'd be putting in things for autumn now. Yeah. Things would like you? aster. Yeah. Um, Rudbeckias. Yeah.
5: Right. Um, uh, of course, petunias can go in there too.
3: Yeah,
2: well, you could have had your petunias already in, but you can yes. certainly still be planting some of those summer flowers. Yes. So mm-hmm. things like those and... Uh, any of the other sort of hot weather stuff, poor lacquers, all that sort of stuff could all go in now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but Craig's right. A lot of things that you need a whole season to get up and running for the autumn, you need to get them in in the sort of late spring, early summer if you're going to get that autumn show.
5: Oh, right, yes. I find too I, I can get around some pansies. Uh, if I keep uh, the, in the summertime, if I plant pansies in the shady side of the garden, mm-hmm. they seem to get through better than the ones that you plant in the full sun.
2: Oh, yeah, they will, because uh, they're mainly cool climate, things, yes. the, the pansies and violas. So if you're going to try and keep them for more than one season, uh, then, yes, a bit of shade is important.
5: Important. Oh, well, thanks very much anyway, and we'll catch you all again next all week. Right. Okay, well, good bye on you, Robert. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: And uh, next up we have Pam uh, in kind. and Morning, Pam, and we heard about the frost.
2: I've already warned everybody that you'd had a frost up there the other day.
7: Oh, did we have a frost? Yeah. And I'd just about a week or so, a little bit more, taken the frost cloth off the tomatoes. Uh, Of course. Imagine what my tomatoes look like now, Um, and my persimmon tree. And I won't go on. I've had such a whinge over the last few days. (laughs) It's quite devastating. It is
2: devastating. And look, Pam, there's Uh, not an awful lot you can do. I mean, the tomatoes probably won't be any good.
7: No.
2: Uh, I'd go out and buy some well-grown yes. seedlings and start mm. again.
7: I did. I went and
2: bought a couple yesterday. Yeah, well, that's the way to go with those. Just cut your losses and start again. Uh, things like the persimmon and, and other more permanent plants that have been frosted, uh, they'll normally reshoot again.
7: But the persimmon's already reshot for the second time. Yeah. And I really have to rethink the persimmon. It's a beautiful tree, but I just... It just can't cope with the cold weather here. I mean, I really am in a very cold corner, and I really have to learn to live with it. And I was wondering, Stephen, um, about another small tree that I could put in there. I suppose another crabapple, but you know, well, you you could. But there's other
2: things you could plant, Pam. Medlar. Um, Medlar. Yeah, you could put in a medlar. I've got a a
1: yeah pomegranate.
7: No, forget the pomegranate. Mm. (laughs) I bought one up from Melbourne from the beautiful pomegranate tree that I had in Melbourne and it lasted two seasons and it totally gave up. what
2: about a Chinese quince?
7: Yes, I was thinking about a quince. I thought a quince might be nice. They're slow-growing, are they, Stephen? No, not
2: particularly. No? Uh, Reasonably Uh, quick-growing. I mean, I've got Chinese quinces that are um, only 18 months, two years old from seed and they'd be... Pushing on towards a metre tall. All
7: right, I was thinking of a quince. So I wanted to put some, I mean, I will never ever get any persimmons, but no. they just, it's just too cold. And <clears throat> I mean, not that it doesn't get hot here, it does. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
6: Mm.
2: Yeah, but, so, um, yeah, so there's a few ideas there for you that could probably do quite well for you. And if you want other inspirations, I mean, some of the ornamental hawthorns could be really good. Uh, in fact, you can even plant some more hawthorns that have edible fruit. Oh right! I like the Mexican to... one or the Mediterranean Azarole, Crotagus azarolus. both beautiful trees.
3: The Mexican one will take the frost, will it? Oh yeah, yeah. It
2: becomes it's evergreen in most climates, but in really frosty climates, it tends to become deciduous. But okay. that's about it. Uh, and it has brilliant yellow fruit that hang around on the tree nearly all winter. Yep, it's a fantastic uh, tree. Right. So there's plenty of alternatives, um, really. Oh,
7: I know there is, and I think I'll just leave it there for the Rick. I mean, at the moment now, every leaf that—and it's funny how frost comes because there's one little lot of leaves that have been that are fine, mm. not even touched, and yet the rest of them are gone. So, and it's just trying to understand how it comes, but I can't figure it out. It, like you say, it's just. Um, yeah, anyway.
2: Yeah. so You've and just got to learn to live with it a bit, Pam, you, because Kinton is one of those areas where it you can is. get frosts at almost any time.
7: Yes, and and like I went to my friends in the middle of Kinton. Her tomatoes are fine. She's had no frost in any of her garden. Mm. It's where I am down on the river, yes. and I've got the sporting ovals beside me, so it's just open and the frost just comes across, and I guess I just cop it. Mm.
2: So you're going to go to the climate around rally around this, this afternoon? House. Pardon? Are you going to the climate rally this afternoon?
7: I wasn't aware it was on. Yes, on quarry reserve by
2: the river, so you can't be too far away. I'm not. At 2pm today.
7: All right. So there's a big climate
2: rally on up there.
7: Just quickly, the carrot seed. What is the best way to get carrot seed up? Because I've had several goes and I've... Figured just about now that the reason that I couldn't get it up this time was maybe because the ground is too cold, because the nights have been too cold. We have had very cold nights. Um, and what would be the timeline for me for carrot seed? Given that my garlic, I just listened to you talking about your garlic. Yeah. I have just pulled my garlic because it had completely fallen over, which surprised me.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: And I dug it. And it's very healthy, but not nearly not as big.
2: No, no, the nor red was mine. garlic
7: is good, but the white garlic was really poor this year.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, both my red and oh, my purple and white garlics are all right, but they're not up to the standard I'd normally expect. So the, the bulbs are comparatively small. Yeah. And uh, I just think that uh, because of the heat we had in the early spring, the garlics decided to go into dormancy earlier and it just didn't build up enough oomph. Yeah,
7: yeah. But yeah. carrot seed, have you got any secrets to getting up no.
2: carrot seed? Uh, no. Somebody I once talked to about it said you should put some newspaper over the bed when you've sown your carrot seed. Well, for the a first wooden week plank, so. I've
1: heard. Or yes, a yes, wooden plank
2: to keep the seed dark,
1: yes, but until then you got to actually get it off germinates. quickly enough.
2: And I tried it. The only problem I had with doing that is that it was a great place for slaters to hide, oh, and then they oh. tended to eat off the carrot seedlings. <laughs> uh, so I just sow them just into the bed. I don't put anything over them. I've got carrots germinating at the moment that have just been sown in a drill just fractionally under the ground, and they're germinating fine.
7: And do you put sand into the soil to
2: make it... No, I've got... Well, I've got a very well-drained soil in my veggie garden because I've been working it up for donkey's years. Yeah. Um, And so I don't bother with those sorts of things. I just sow them. But I do find sometimes the carrot seed just won't germinate for no apparent reason. You'll you'll have one batch you put down that doesn't germinate. Put another batch down almost straight after and up it comes. Yeah, I've never
7: got it up. And I try so hard. Anyhow... I might give the plank a go and see. Yeah, we'll try something like that. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and and that would keep the soil a bit warmer too. That's right. That's right. You've just
1: got to, you know, keep an eye on it. So once it germinates, you've got to remove the plank. Yeah,
7: of course. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks very much for your help. Okay. I'll get out and replant (laughs) those tomatoes. (laughs) Okay. Good on you, Pam. Bye. Uh,
1: Stephen, because we've just been talking to Pam about um, the frost Mm. that hit her. We should uh, um, have a quick chat about Diana, who's also up in Clombenane been affected by yes. that same massive frost.
2: Yeah, she says here that her potatoes have been knocked, her dahlias have been blackened, her budlier tips are dead, her oriental lily flowers have turned all mushy. Um... Sounds like devastation, really. Absolutely. Uh, But there's absolutely nothing much you can do about it. I mean, you can clean up the dead matter. I mean, chances are we won't get another one. Uh, So I would be nipping, pruning and what have you. The lilies will be gone for the year. The spuds will reshoot. Um, uh, The buddliers will. The budley will. Yeah, it'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. They'll reshoot again. And because it's warmish weather now, um, a lot of those things will happen quickly. Yes. So a lot of the the worst damage will disappear quite fast. Um, but, yes, you can forget your lilies for the year <laughs> um, uh, and certainly anything that's about to flower that's been hit by the frost. The, t- the daily tubers should come back again. Yeah. Uh, they'll reshoot again. Um, so, yes, it might look awful and it probably is pretty awful, um, but it's not necessarily going to be something that you have to – have, have to deal with the whole season. It'll it'll be there, the damage will be done, certain things won't flower this year, probably won't lose anything, uh, and a lot of things will just come back very quickly after. Mm. And so I just clean up the
3: debris and... and it's gardening, isn't
2: it? Well, it, it is, is, Craig. It's, exactly. it's the way it tends to happen. Yep. You know, so I just keep moving on and... Uh, all I can say is I'm lucky, I feel lucky we didn't get it at Macedon as well.
1: Well, I feel lucky we didn't get it in yeah. Eltham because yeah. normally, I, you know, yeah, there's going to be a frost, I'll it. Yeah. it. But yeah, yeah no, luckily, yeah.
2: all's well. Yes. well. So keep that's our fingers good. crossed.
7: Yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean,
2: when I was 10 years old, we had sleet on Christmas Day, so anything is possible. Yeah. <laughs>
3: it's getting a bit late for them now, isn't it, yeah. for a frost?
2: Yeah, well, you would have thought so. I mean, mm. normally we can rely on the frosts being finished by the beginning of November, uh, but to get one sort of at the end of November does seem a little unfair. It does,
1: yes.
3: It's been a pretty abnormal spring, hasn't it? Well, it has
2: been weird in both directions. We've had excessive heat and we've had some um, amazing cold, so it's gone both ways. Yes, exactly. Woeful.
1: You're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. In the studio this morning, we've got Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants and Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery. So uh, do join us this morning if you'd like to ask a gardening question, that number Nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to the team on air, or if you'd like a chat to Liz on the outside line nine four one nine eight three double seven. Craig, let's get to a couple of the things you've brought in.
3: Yeah, look, I'll start off with a couple of pretty, fairly pedestrian plants, but small stackus mm. When um, people come into the nursery these days, often the question is what what are they going to grow for bees? Yeah. And stackus they go crazy for. Mm. Um, and these are a couple of really small ones. Stachys fircai, which is a species... It's a very pretty little one. I've got it in the nice garden at home. One, yeah, it's lovely. 15, 20 centimetres yeah. for the neat. flowering. and neat. And it's the mm. sort of thing that you can use for edging a border and it's not going to creep back into the border and take now over Now we should mention else. for those
2: who don't know what Stachys is that Lambsius. you probably know it as Lambs is yeah. So it's probably a good idea to throw in a common name in the case of that plant because people will remember what Lambs is like. And yes, that particular species one is
3: charming. That is nice. And there's another one called Silky Fleece which is smaller again. Probably probably gets up to about 10 centimetres, the flower. Okay. Yeah, and very slow spreader. Right. And, again, dripping with bees yeah. when it's in flower. They're, so they're, they're the first thing the bees go for in the garden. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well,
2: anything in that family tends to bring pl- bees in, doesn't it? That's right. Uh, that whole sort of group of plants, all of the sages and stackies and yeah. uh, mm. all those sort of things, they all bring the, the insects in. Uh, so And they're tough.
3: Yeah, but the, oh, bees, they are the tough. bees. I find they tend to have their preferences. Yeah, and mm. if there's a salvia next to a stachys, then they'll be on the stachys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Isoplexus canariensis, which is out now. It's it's a sort of woody shrub. gets up to what one and a half two meters. Yeah, it does. I hate
2: to tell you, it's had a name change. Oh no. Yeah, oh, I think I'll ignore that. <laughs> no, well, you shouldn't
3: because it's it's been dumped into Digitalis. Oh well, it's been crossed with digitalis. Yeah,
2: I know, I know they've, they've created some hybrids yeah, between Digiplexus. the isoplexes. Yeah, yes. uh, well they're now all digitalis. Okay, so I guess that would be digitalis canariensis. I guess
3: it is. <laughs> oh, Just to
2: throw something yeah. in there, but yeah, the name changes—we've got to get
3: used to us. Yeah, suppose. we do have to get used yeah. to them. But, but the, the colouring is gorgeous. It's, it's a great thing. It, it, it gets up to—it's an evergreen shrub with sort of dark green pointed leaves, mm. quite shiny and lush. Do you grow it, Stephen? I have grown over? it,
2: but I do find that our winters sometimes knock it about. Yeah. So I can't, I can't say that it's reliably hardy up my way. Yeah, and I reckon Pam well. would
3: kill it straight away in Kyneton. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does very well for me yeah. in a sort of sheltered spot, mm. semi-shade. Mm. It's of, a remarkable sort of dusty, orangey brown. It's it almost right. like
1: an antique gold, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's a beautiful colour.
3: Gorgeous. And, um, the flowers are sort of striped on the inside. It would resemble a foxglove in structure, so I guess it's, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. So, yes, they've all been dumped in together.
3: Uh, in
2: some ways, that's probably not a bad thing because people know what digitalis is, but most people wouldn't know what an isoplexis is. Well, I guess was. that
3: makes it toxic. And I guess they
2: <laughs> are toxic, yeah. But
3: you do have to probably ingest it
2: first. Yes, that's yeah. right, yeah.
3: <laughs> but, look, it's a great shrub, and, and, and you can get two flowerings out if you cut mm. it back uh, immediately after flowering. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting little group. Uh, yeah, and it's one of those things, again, which looks pretty scruffy in the nursery, so most people are going to walk past it. Yeah, not a great plant in a pot. Yeah, that's right. But in the garden, it can look really Yes, nice. yeah. absolutely fabulous. Lovely, lovely plant.
1: Yep, yep. Before we continue, we, we'll go to um, Diana, who's rung in to discuss her frost issue. Morning,
8: Diana. Good morning, Pam. Good morning to the guys. Um, thank you for, for covering that for me, but I still have the question, mm. what do I do with those plants? Do I simply leave them there, like the liliums? Do I chop off that, that mushy...
2: Yeah, pot? I chop off all the dead stuff, Diana. Okay. Uh, but if there's any green foliage, just leave it. Okay. Because it's going to hopefully feed the bulb for next year. But the well, roots would still be active, wouldn't yeah, they? Oh, yeah, the roots would be active. It's still so there.
3: I'd give them a big fade. Mm-hmm.
8: Okay,
3: Yeah. feed. Yeah. Because the liliums, the roots are pretty much perennially perennially active. Okay. Uh, Yeah. But yes, you certainly won't have any lily flowers for this year.
2: But uh, yeah, I just cut the affected stuff off. But if there's any greenery, leave it.
8: Okay, cool.
2: And that's the main thing. And most of the other things, things like your budliers and things, well, they'll all shoot back like mad anyway. Uh, and your dahlias and potatoes will come back again. Okay. Uh, so you'll get a second sort of flush of growth from the tubers on those. So
8: okay. same again, trim off the... Yeah, trim off the ugly. dead stuff.
3: Mm. The dahlias uh, could have a feed too. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, because they're yeah. just
2: starting into their
3: really that's active right. cycle. So. They're always hungry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah
8: it was just uh, amazing how out of the blue. Just this enormous frost, and it seems that we're pretty isolated in uh, that we had it so severe in
6: mm-hmm. our little
8: low valley here down by the creek. Uh, lots of people, yes, a cold night, yeah. but yep. not, not the devastating frost that went with it. Yes. So, yeah, very interesting. Oh,
2: well, well, I, guys, I, feel, I feel for you, because it does impinge on what's going to happen for the rest of the season with some of those plants.
8: Sure. We wait another year and that's starting, isn't it? <laughs> that yeah, is, exactly. Right. Of course it is, Diana. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks so much. It's uh, okay. a pleasure we'll Good catch up you. with you soon. Good See luck. Ya. Bye.
1: Bye. A uh, listener has run in to say that, or uh, Miriam, in fact, has rung in to say she covers her drills of carrot seed with hessian,
9: Mm.
2: because
1: she can keep it moist and it allows a tiny little bit of light in which so she can then see when they've actually germinated and then she removes the hessian. So that's another good idea. Yeah
2: Yeah. Yeah, I know that the sort of darkness seems to be the thing to sort of get that carrot seed initiating.
1: And it's keeping the soil moister. Yeah Yeah. Yeah,
3: and the hessian wouldn't be so appealing to slaters either would it?
2: No possibly not. No. Yes I did find that I uh, it was sort of counterproductive when I tried (laughs) to cover them and keep them dark but anyhow. (laughs) uh, But you know I still find I can germinate them just in the open ground as long as they're they're slightly buried and as long as I water probably twice a day until they've actually germinated Yeah, and off they go. Twice a day. Yeah, yeah, I'll do it in the morning before I go to work and then if it's been a warm day, I'll give them another drink when I get Mm, home uh, just to keep the surface of the ground damp. Because
1: they're basically surface sown, you know, so yeah, you do need to – they'll dry out very quickly. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And it's actually quite a good idea if you can weather forecast well enough – to sow them when you know, you if, you if it's summer sowing, that you know you're going to get a, 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 a coolish span during the period of them getting started. So if you, if you think that, you know, the weather forecast is saying we've got 10 days of cool weather or something coming up with nothing above sort of 25, mm. it's probably a good idea to get your carrot seed in then. Yep. Uh, but if you're going to get 35 and 40-degree days, it's probably Forget not going it. to make it.
1: Yeah. No. Mm. Yep. Okay. Let's get back to some of your plants, uh, Craig.
3: Styper gigantea. Which is one of the big grasses. It's fabulous. It's the most fabulous thing, and it, it takes quite a long time to establish. Yes, it's not like a lawn grass. It no. sort of grows
2: almost overnight, <laughs> so it takes time to get a big yeah, clump, doesn't it, it? Yeah,
3: that's right. Mine have mine's been in the ground for probably about five or six years now, and I probably have 10 flower heads on mm. them, mm. and they're, they're up to about 1.8 metres, mm. and I think probably after another five years, I'll have 30 or 40 oh, yeah. and they'll be up to two metres. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's one of those things which just looks horrible in a pot. Oh, yeah, well, Scruffy. it actually looks like
2: you haven't been weeding. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. It's, it's almost impossible to sell unless somebody knows what it is, but boy, it's a show when you get oh. it in the garden. Mm-hmm. And then the great thing about the stiper is that it, it makes quite a low clump of foliage. Yeah, the leaves are down low, so That's you right. don't sort of have to worry about So you don't really that. see them that much if you put something in front of them, and mm-hmm. then you have this incredible display of, um, of flowers on top.
2: Yeah, so well it is damn good grass. And as far yeah. as I know, it's still called Stipa Gigantea. Oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Yes,
6: yes, yes. But who knows what will happen next high.
3: week. Yeah.
1: <laughs> what else have you got there, Oh, huh?
3: look, this is a little hydrangea. It's one of the Shinensis hybrids called Shiro. Um, tiny little pink lace cap. Mm. Small hydrangea, probably just knee height. And what I've found about these chenensis hybrids is how well they do in pots. Oh, yeah. Really mm. good pot plants. And then they flower up. Well, they've started flowering now and they'll go right through until yeah. May, June. Mm. Some lovely little small hydrangeas. Again, it's like talking about the Oxalis earlier.
2: Hydrangeas, people, when you say hydrangea, they think of the great big mop headed hydrangeas of that, right. you know, we know from childhood yes. and what have you. But and people don't sort of realize the diversity
3: in the genus. Quite a big genus. Yeah. 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 Lots and of interesting stuff. Lots of there. interesting plants. Most right. of them want lots of water, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah.
2: But then if you if you group them um yeah it doesn't need to be that much of a difficulty.
3: Yeah, but I mean, if I had a sheltered balcony and I was looking for a tub plant for summer flowering, mm. the little chenensis hybrids I think would yeah, be the first pick. Yeah, mm. Really yeah, pretty. Nice range of colours. Actually, I don't know if you've ever grown it, but I've
2: got a little one at the nursery in flower at the moment that I'm terribly fond of. Uh, the Revels under the name of Hydrangea scandens lucluiensis. Don't know that one. Oh, funniest little thing gets tiny little white lace caps. Right. And little tiny leaves that would probably be in the old measurements less than an inch long. Yep. And its leaves go red in the autumn before it sheds. Okay. And, and it what starts size? Fling, Um or oh, the plant itself would be. 60 centimetres and probably a little wider than it is tall, probably gets up to about a metre wide. So it's sort of a nice little archy shrub and completely unhydrangea like except for the little tiny white lace caps. Really cute. Mm. When people see it, they go, wow, that's pretty, what is it? And when I tell them it's a hydrangea, they sort of look at me like I need a straight jacket. It doesn't look like a hydrangea. Yeah. yeah,
3: people are pretty um, used to the big hortensis yeah. hybrids, aren't yeah, they? Yeah,
2: so some of these little ones, I think, you know, they've, they've been hidden away and people just haven't realised they're there. Yeah. And they are great plants. Mm. And they of course, are. in a pot, you can sit a pot for the summer in a saucer of water. That's right. And so it doesn't need to be high maintenance. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't leave it in a pot in a saucer for the winter, but no. during the yeah. summer, you could leave it sitting in a saucer of water, it would be perfectly happy. And
3: mm. such a long flowering season. Yeah, mm. yeah especially for the little shenensis hybrids. Yeah, the dogwoods in the hills have been just amazing this year. has oh. been a good dogwood year, yeah, hasn't it? it's just been a fantastic dogwood year. I mean, we don't have really any floridas left because mm. of the virus. It's gone right through the... Yes,
2: yeah, so we've got it up at Mount Macedon too, and yeah. it's it's a nightmare, the, the that dreadful sort of anthracnose thing that they the, get.
3: But the coosas have been unbelievable. This one's Norman Haddon, which is a cross between coosa and Capitata, the evergreen dogwood. And it's the last mm. one to flower. I mean, it's just, it's just solid white at the moment. That's
1: stunning, isn't it? It's
2: just beautiful. Gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. Yes, I have people stopping in my nursery. I've got a Kusa chinensis in full bloom in front yeah. of the nursery, and it must be 30 feet tall now. Yeah. And it has thousands of white butterflies all over the tops of the branches. It's just amazing. Yeah, and has mm. made those flat plants? Yeah, it has. It's got the lovely flattened layers of branches yeah. on it, and it is just breathtaking. Mm. Yeah. So I only wish I'd planted it right out by the street. Uh, draw them you, in. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but there's only so much you can fit out at the end of my driveway. So um, in hindsight, I could have planted all sorts of things out there, but I have to say the Coosa the would have drawn them in. Yeah. Um, it is truly remarkable. But look, and, I
3: think for people in lower altitudes, Norman Haddon could be one that they could yeah. grow because, yeah. because of its Capitata parentage. Yeah.
2: And in fact, there's nothing inherently wrong with capitata as a, as a tree in a garden for well, suburbia. the fact that it's an appalling
3: weed in the hills. But well, in the hills,
2: yes, it sells seeds yeah, everywhere. It's our most
3: beautiful weed.
2: Yeah, but I have to say, in Melbourne, it's probably the mo- almost the most growable, I would imagine. That's right, and a um, great plant. And it flowers right up to Christmas. That's right, and then so, you, you get the
3: fruit. Yeah, and, yeah.
2: and the birds have a lovely time with yeah. that. Um, but, yeah, Capitata is is actually, I think, an underrated tree for suburban yeah. Melbourne. I think it's something we could be using a lot more in Melbourne gardens because they're not a big tree. Um, so they're scale-wise appropriate for a small garden. Yep. They don't have a root system that's an issue to anybody. It would be no issue. No. Either. And um, it's, it's one of those plants that gives you at least two good seasons, which is... is more than you get out of some things. Yeah, that you plant. Sometimes
3: you get some good autumn colour on them.
2: Yeah, yeah. So sort yes. of
3: semi-evergreen tree. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yep. So how tall does that one get, Craig?
3: Norman Hatton, mm. five metres. Yeah, I'd say around okay.
2: right about. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah.
3: yeah it's yeah. not huge. Mm.
2: Yeah. yeah. Although I have to say, I do laugh, a lot of people see five metres as a giant tree. No. Yeah, well, I know, I don't either, but I get people who come in and they say, oh, I want a tree for my front lawn, and you say, how big do you want it to grow? And they say, three metres.
3: Five metres is barely above a shrub.
2: Yeah, well, that's exactly what I say. I say, no, you don't want a tree, you want a shrub. Um, and, And I always maintain that a tree should get big enough to visually pull the house into the landscape. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not a tree. That's right. You know, if it stays below the eaves, it's, it's
3: a shrub. Well, you need to be able to sit under it too. Well, of course you yes. do. Yeah. And if you want to
2: lift the canopy of something up, you need to have enough canopy to do it. That's right. You know, so, yeah. you know, if you cut the canopy up to, you know, well, two and a half metres is about minimum if you want to be able to go underneath the tree. Yeah. Uh, you can't have it at three metres at full height, can no. you? Yeah. It look rather odd. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, yeah, I love the dogwoods. Obviously I do because I hold the national collection up at the nursery okay. um, of Cornus. Um They are a great tree, but a vast majority of them do better in the hills than they do in the city. How how are you
3: going with the floridas then?
2: Uh, Look, I've still got them in my collection, but a lot of them are scruffy some years. Uh, I haven't lost any. Okay. Uh, They're still going, uh, but the anthracnose some years is really vile. Yeah, And and it knocks the nuttle eyes as well, unfortunately. Okay. So yeah, any of the North American bracted dogwoods get it. Yep. Um, so I've virtually moved over to the Rutger University hybrid stuff now. Yep. If you want something that looks a bit like Florida, yep. then the Stella series yep. are the
3: ones to plant. Are you that growing any it. of the variegated ones? Uh,
2: I've got f- uh, First Lady and Eye in the garden, uh, not doing very well. Both they getting those, and they burn a bit. Yeah. Um, I've just planted the variegated form of coosa, though, Wolf Eyes. Yeah, this, this, this is the one I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah and yeah. so I've just planted one of those and it's looking quite good. Okay. I think it'll be quite nice. Yeah. And of course, on a completely different tack, I've got the variegated form of Cornus Mass in the garden at the nursery and that okay. does really well. Yeah. Uh, it's a good, tough little tree with yeah. little yellow flowers in the winter, which is quite cute.
3: Cornus Mass is quite a nice plant and it gets fruit. Yeah. And yeah. it brings the parrots into the garden.
2: Yeah, yes, yeah, and edible fruit at that. It's, yeah. That's supposed right to make the best jelly for gamey meats, is what I've read. So if you want to make a really good jelly that's got a bit of piquancy to it um, for gamey meats, then then, uh, Cornus Mass is the one to plant, apparently. Cornelian cherry. Yes. So there you go. Okay. A bit bit more information on dogwoods, (laughs) which I think are a great group of plants. Oh,
1: yes. No, they're wonderful. yeah. 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 So what are the purple ones you've got there? Oh,
3: look, this is the Bizarre Watsonia, which Stephen and I were discussing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, everyone in the world would associate Watsonias with big, tall, straight stems. Yes. This one twists and yeah, heads it's a downwards weird thing, and, 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 and Craig, goes all over when, the place.
2: Craig When I walked in this morning, I saw it there and Craig said, do you remember what its name is? And... No, I've forgotten yeah, so it's a weird Watsonia, and we will find out its name at some stage. I did have it years ago, and I did have it named, but I can't remember it. it
3: it's a nice plant, it has nice foliage, it has the foliage, has that sort of mm. bronze tinge to it, mm. um, and then it gets these flowers that are somewhere between pink and mauve mm. that twist all over the place. Wow, yeah, yeah and so it's, it's a plant that makes a statement. yeah, well, it certainly does. not invasive, mm. and tough. As most South African bulbs are. Mm. Yeah.
2: We will. I've, my memory is that it had a Latinised Dutch name, so yeah. I've got a feeling it's Van something or another. Okay. Uh, but I could be wrong. I'm, yep. I'm going to find out now, though. I hate it when somebody brings something in that I knew the name of once <laughs> and now can't remember because then I've got to go and find out.
3: Of course yeah. you do. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the Watsonias are a bit like the Oxalis in it. There's a couple of words. Oh, yeah. oh a couple of really bad ones. Yeah, and it's it's given a whole lot of bad name, mm. and there's a lot of really good ones. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yes, so it
2: is sad because I think they're a, a very good, useful group of garden bulbs. Yeah,
3: and for a bulb, they
2: flower for quite a long time. Mm. They certainly do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So this is an unnamed curly-stemmed mowie
3: pin. Yes. It's so very
2: striking. What's mm. only a twisty eye? <laughs> yes. <yeah. laughs> Or something similar, yes. (laughs)
3: Oh dear.
1: Wonderful. Okay, if you want to join us this morning, do give us a call, the number 9419 0155 to speak to the team on air or to have a chat to Liz on the outside line 9419 8377. Stephen, you've got another one of the members of one of my favourite families of plants there.
2: Yes, the, the love smoke them. bushes yes. or cottonus. Yes, uh, love them. There's, over the last few years, there's been quite a revival uh, in this genus. I mean, the, purple, the, the old-fashioned purple form has been around for years, and the green one that goes brilliant orangey-red in the autumn has been around for years, and they make big bulky shrubs, mm. uh, fabulous smoky plumes in the summer, great autumn foliage, uh, and drought tolerant, heat tolerant. Mm cold tolerant. They'll, they'll cope with practically everything going. The only thing that I know will kill a cottonus is wet feet. Yeah,
3: or well, prune tolerant.
2: Yeah, prune tolerant. Yes, you can <laughs> cut them back to nothing. Yeah. Uh, but over the last few years, a few newies have started showing up. Uh, and more
1: miniature in yeah, size. Yeah,
2: and so there's some new purple ones out there. There's grace, uh, there's velvet cloak, all that sort of thing. There's a new gold one that's shown up recently. Mm. The uh, gold
3: one's but a bit shade, don't yeah, they? Yeah,
2: that, that one will burn a bit but it's, yeah. it's a lovely thing, golden spirit. And there's this one here which is a a dwarfer one, uh, which goes under the name of Young Lady. And Young Lady is a green one. It grows to about a metre and a half, grows very dense and bushy, and because it's very dense and bushy and it plumes practically on the end of every stem, the whole plant is just a mass of plumes mm. in the summer. I mean, sounds and It really makes, good. makes me laugh because they've called it Young Lady and yet it's round, fat and smokes like a chimney. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is sort of weird. <laughs> I don't think they thought the name through terribly well. Uh, yes. um, but it is a great cotton. Its autumn colour isn't probably at the top end. Uh, it's still,
3: surprising given it's green.
2: Yeah, yeah. But it's good autumn colour, but it's yeah. not like Flame or any of those other green leaf yeah. clones out there. It tends to go a lot more yellow and orange with a bit of red. Okay. Um, but still quite striking. And because it is actually mottly, it's actually quite interesting. Yeah. It doesn't go one sort of. But sort the of size
3: colour. is very manageable.
2: Great size. And when the plumes first come out, they're quite pink. Yep. Then they go through sort of a greenish phase. And then like the other smoke bushes, of course, as they die, they go grey. Mm. So that you get that grey, fluffy look to it. So you get quite an interesting change of colour from the young plumes through to the, the final effect on it. Uh, so if you're looking for something of a manageable size in a small garden, then you could do a lot worse than cottonous young lady.
3: Mm. Yeah, that's so that's great because the, the big ones really do need pruning. Where I, they grow into small trees. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes.
2: I've got a flame mm. in the nursery garden that's got trunks on it now, I reckon uh, 15 to 20 centimetres across yeah. the trunk. Mm. And and I've had to prune the lower limbs off. I've actually turned it into a tree because uh, it's along the driveway, so I, yeah. I had to sort of get it up and out of the way. <laughs> yes. um, and it's stunning. But it is quite literally a tree. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, it certainly would pull a garden into the landscape because it does. It grows taller than uh, than the spoutings. It gets up above a roof. Mm. Uh, but this one, topping out at around about a meter to a meter and a half, is really. Quite Perfect. good value. Fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just – I love the smoke bushes because they get their plumes looking really nice at about Christmas time. Mm. And so if you are looking for things to decorate the house and stuff, uh, they're great for picking.
3: They cut well, do they? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah I often use the, the cottonous plumes. If I'm doing a table decoration for Christmas, yeah. I'll put them in with some Ulstromeria citocinus, the little red, green and and, um, and sort of bronzy-coloured Ulstromeria. Um uh, or I'll find some, um, some bottle brush in flour or something like that. And, Just see. Mm. And, and you can make a quite sort of attractive and interesting Christmas decoration with them. Uh, the only thing I will warn people about with cottonists though, is that in some areas possums seem to have really? taken to them. Okay. And I can't understand why because they've got a dreadful smell to them when you cut them. Mm. Uh, and if you're doing cuttings of them, I can feel quite nauseous after doing the cuttings for a couple of hours. Okay. And they've got this dreadful sticky sap uh inside them uh and yet i've seen possums completely strip them so i guess with this dwarf one though it'll be down below possum level to yeah. a large extent yeah. so yes. it'll probably be safer yes. but yes i've had uh flame in the garden at home two years ago it was completely stripped by the possums mm. Ouch. completely yeah. and i thought i was going to lose it but it came up again from the bottom yep. uh, and so i actually did coppice it down and then started so like it was again.
3: bare all summer was it yep
2: Yeah, yeah, Yeah. cleaned out all summer. Mm. Uh, I I couldn't discourage the possums from doing it. Once they'd taken a taste to it, they just kept going. Um, And I thought I was going to completely lose it. But it has come back this year, and obviously the same possum isn't still around.
3: They've moved on.
2: Yeah, they've moved on or something, or died of old age, or got run over by a truck or Mm. something else, I don't know. Uh, But the cottonus is looking fine this year. And that's often the way with possums. You'll have an animal that will set to a plant one year. If that animal disappears, the plant seems to be fine the next. Mm. It's
3: happened to me with my roosts I noticed yeah. that they've they've got leaves on them this year for the first time for well, and that, there time. it is
2: an interesting thing because the roose and the cottonus are really closely related. They're That's in the right. same and family. I would have thought
3: the roose was quite to- quite toxic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but no, the possums love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: they will. They'll, they'll clean it up.
3: That's right. I haven't had autumn colour on it for years, but I think we might oh, get some this year. Yeah,
2: uh, <laughs> yeah well, with any luck, you will. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's why most people grow it for There's the no autumn colouring. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
2: why would you have it otherwise? <laughs>
1: exactly. Oh, yeah. But that would be fabulous in a border because of that height. Oh, you yeah. You know, it would just be stunning. Oh,
2: it's a it's a great little plant. I think yeah. it's one of the best things that's come out in the market recently. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can, well, you can see from this plant, it's in a 20 centimetre pot um, and it's got probably 10 plumes sitting on the top already, of, yes. yeah. you know, yeah. covered in plumes even at that size, yes. uh, so you can imagine what it would be like if it was sort of a metre or a metre and a half oh, gosh, yes. uh, and just full, yeah. uh, it is just truly beautiful. Brilliant. So yeah, so it's definitely worthwhile looking out for. And I'd almost feel like you guarantee it for almost any part of Melbourne. Yeah. You know, it, it will grow. It'll per- take the heat. Yeah, it'll take the heat. It'll mm. be it doesn't mind the wind and out in the open. Uh, so you could grow it all through the western suburbs without a problem. Yep. As long as you didn't put it in a spot that was low lying where the water lay in the winter. Yeah. That would be the only thing in some of those heavier soil areas. Yep. Mm. Yep. So as long as you do that, you should have no problems growing the cottonuses.
1: Fabulous. Okay, let's go to uh, Carol, who's out in East Bentley. Morning, Carol. Good morning. Um, I wanted to ask
9: a question about uh, pistachio chinensis. Yeah. I've got it in a east-north, northerly, it gets a, a northerly aspect, but it's extremely windy, and when I brought it, um, the gentleman said to me, yes, it'll take the wind. Now, we staked it, and we staked it with star pickets. <laughs>
2: Mm. Nothing like overkill.
9: (laughs) Exactly. Because I I suppose it was so windy, I've forgotten what we did. Uh, It's been in about three years and it's about two metres high. Mm. Now, I noticed the other day that it's been hitting against the star picket, and uh, I'd put some uh, rubber there to stop it, but it has degraded the stem, the main stem. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering, is it safe to keep it growing? Because, as I say, it's extremely windy. It just... i I've fixed that, you know. Mm. I've, um, should I take the star pickets out now? Uh, I then, probably
2: wouldn't, although they no, shouldn't have been there that long.
9: Yeah, the top has... Um, is, when I changed the um, the, the hoses around, it, the um, ties around it, the top sort of blench over. Mm. So I thought perhaps... Yeah, as you say, it's not wise to take the start. I wouldn't now. Yeah. I'd
2: wait until the winter, and yeah. as soon as it's bare, I'd take all those stakes away. Yeah.
9: Would you, in
2: winter?
3: Yes. Yeah, because we won't, have, won't catch the wind yeah, so Yeah, it much. has no wind resistance, because yeah. it'll just be
2: twigs, mm. uh, and I would take it away then. I generally suggest to people that if you do stake something, that you should never leave things staked more than 12 to 18 months. Right. Because the plants start to rely on the stakes or you have the same issue you've now got where you have things rubbing and yep. damaging stems and all that sort of thing as the tree gets bigger. D-
3: depending on the plant, I often recommend people to prune rather than stake.
2: Yeah, well, I and with a pistachio, you can cut them. Yeah. Uh, so if it comes out into strong leaf next spring and is looking a bit wonky, I'd actually trim it back. Yeah,
3: rather than stake
2: it yeah. up again. Mm. Yeah.
9: Oh, that's a good idea. And look, yeah. they
2: will eventually become quite wind-solid, uh, so the nurseryman who sold it to you wasn't uh, wrong. It's a, a sort of plant that should cope with the wind quite yeah. well. Um, but um, And the other thing is to not try and push it too hard with lots of feeding and watering. Right. Uh, you're better to let those sort of trees grow slowly and gradually so that they become more solid than to get lots of soft, sappy, strong growth, which then is uh, prone to get wind-damaged.
9: Right. I was told by a gentleman on your show that it would only get to four metres. Ish. Yes, about four metres, yes, he said. Can I ask another question about a a Fisifolia? (laughs) I'm truly mad. And uh, this is... um, grafted onto a standard and supposed to get to 6 metres. Now I don't think it'll have the room to get to 6 metres. Mm. Can I take it out, not now of course, but take it out, it's a very young tree, and put it in a pot.
2: How long ago did you plant it?
9: I planted it about um,
0: 6 months ago I'd yeah, say. It
2: should be fine. Yeah, look you probably could but again I probably wouldn't do it this weekend. I, I would, no, I'd do yeah. it in the warm
3: weather. Do With, you reckon? with, with eucalypts, yeah, yeah. certainly.
2: Yeah, all right. Well,
3: maybe so. I mean, Sorry, I've never whoever. tried to
2: shift a eucalypt, so I'm sort of yeah. uh, I mean, in I, the I'm dark go, a bit. I'm,
3: I'm going back to my bonsai experience, uh, and, and, and the, the root work on eucalypts is always done during the warm weather. Oh,
10: that's interesting. Oh, okay.
3: Yeah. yeah. So oh, if, right. if, 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 if you were to move it, that's, that's what I'd yeah. say. Now,
2: I would also suggest to you it's going to take quite a long time to get to its mature height, and I don't know what um, vintage you yourself are. Uh, oh, yes,
9: I won't see it get to its mature
2: Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't going to be... I was trying desperately know, not to sound rude, um, but I'm not sure I'd be worrying about how big it's going to get. And, of course, we all own a pair of secateurs. So oh, yes, but...
9: You- I have had this problem always, Stephen. I kill things or I I, I butcher them so much they look terrible, you know.
2: You need a little more finesse, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or maybe you bring somebody in who's an experienced tree pruner uh, to do it in years to come. Can
9: Uh, I just say something? It's about two metres from the pistachio.
2: Yeah, well, they're probably a bit close. They're a bit close together, because yes. uh, the pistachio will need room to spread sideways, as the ficifolia will also need room to spread. And sideways. they're both
3: trees that make a lovely shape. So. Yeah, they can. Yes, yeah. they can
2: make beautiful shapes. So you probably have got them too close together. But I do try and say to people, look, don't worry about ultimate heights of plants too much. If they take time to get there, you will probably won't have to worry about it. And if, if my experience is anything to go by, then next person who comes along won't like any of the things you've got, and he'll Shop bulldoze the down. bloody lot the anyway.
9: No, I think the whole house would
2: be... Yeah, yeah. well, <laughs> so, yes, yeah. they'll put two townhouses on your place when you're gone. So They
9: probably will, yeah. Yeah,
2: so I wouldn't worry about the long term with a lot of these things, but, yes, I think two metres is a little close for yeah. two and, trees like that. And will
9: like the folia take a lot of wind?
2: Yeah, it yeah should they'll go a, on the yeah.
3: coast, you see yeah. them... Yeah. yeah, they
2: should take a, a very windy spot. Yeah.
9: Yeah, I see them down St Kilda Road. I think they're right. the foyers, aren't yeah. They? Yeah, they? Yes, are. so they should. Oh, well, thanks a lot. Thank you. I thought I might have to pull out my pistachio, and you know, it's so beautiful the oh. autumn colouring. It's one of the great autumn
2: colouring plants, yeah. and it's oh, one that you can rely on in Melbourne yeah. to colour. Oh,
9: lovely. Oh, mm. well, thank you. Okay, bye.
3: Bye. Bye.
2: Yes, I do think uh, pistachio is underrated as a tree. I yeah, it, 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 it's a
3: street tree too. we yeah. have seen them being used around Croydon and they're terrific. Yeah, and I've uh. got
2: a feeling, its it St George's Road? One of those roads in Melbourne that's got the tramway running up through the middle of it, there's a section of that road that in the medium strip, on either side of the tramway, has got some pistachios in it. And oh. they look fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I wish they'd done the whole stretch. Yes. They didn't. They did sort of sections of different sorts of trees. Yeah. Uh, but the pistachios look fantastic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the autumn, they look absolutely fabulous. Uh, and they are really pretty little trees, and they don't have an invasive root system. Uh, You don't get masses of seedlings coming up for some reason or another. You don't need
3: to water them too much.
2: Once they're established, they're very drought tolerant. Um, uh, They seem to go through those 45-degree days without even burning, whereas a lot of other things did, Mm. even things that people thought were rock-tough and hardy, uh,
3: burnt. Mm. Fortunately, quite a lot of pertosporums burnt. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, so what can you say? Um, I was dr- I'm driving through Fitzroy the other day and I noticed them using trident maples as street trees, which is another really good choice. It's a nice little tree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, I think the bougie, pistachio yeah. has a
2: prettier shape, but the trident yeah. maple can make quite a good tree. So yeah, yeah, that's right. And it is good to see them sort of being a bit inventive with their street trees. I, yes. You know, when you go back a-, a ways, you know, streets full of purple prunuses and... Mm. Things yeah. like that. I mean, it was pretty unimaginative and actually rather dull. Yes. Um, I mean, the purple prunuses look nice for about a week when they're right. a yes. massive pink blossom, and the rest of the year they make black holes
3: everywhere. Yeah. Yes. So
2: yeah, so I, I like to see things like that being used, and
3: also there's a lot of inappropriate planting in terms of putting in huge things like Malus stifloides or something, which gets enormous and yeah. sucks every. Oh God, yes, a root system like you wouldn't <laughs> that's believe. <right>. Every <laughs> drop of moisture out of your front yard. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, and you can never get a nature strip lawn going. If yeah. Yeah. a tree like that. Under, they are beautiful things. But oh, a lovely tree in the right place. In the right place, that's mm. right. Yeah. Which isn't the nature strip necessarily. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, okay. I've got one more plant if you want to talk about it. Yes, let's um, please. The final one I brought along is sort of a climber, sort of. It's a Scandent shrub, I guess. Um, and you can just let it flop along the ground and waft everywhere and, and it will do that quite well. But it probably looks best if it's grown up a fence or a wall. So I would treat it as sort of an espaliary climbery thing. Yeah. And because it's not a tendrilly climber, it's never going to become this unstuffed mattressy thing that a lot of climbers can. And it's a thing from South America called Mitraria, Mitraria kikinia. And it's in the um, same family as the African violet. So it's in the Gesneriaceus family, uh, but it has tubular orange flowers on it that are slightly sort of swollen on the lower side, um, and it flowers for months. You know, it
3: sort of starts in late spring and it's still flowering in the autumn. Yeah, everything from South America is a tube, isn't it?
2: Yeah, well, yes, all those hummingbirds everywhere. That's right. You know, if it's got a tubular orangey-red flower yeah, on it, you, you, you know go a it must from. South America. <laughs> um, and matraria would be a really useful thing with its evergreen foliage and its nice manageable habit to grow on, say, a south-facing fence. Because it likes a little bit of shade. Yeah, mm-hmm.
3: uh, it likes moisture, but it doesn't need a lot. I've got it growing well for me in a it's dry shade. Yeah, under a um, a big ornamental chestnut. Yeah, well there you flourishing. go, flourishing. Yeah. Ne- never had a drop of water.
2: Yeah, yeah well I would suggest uh. in Melbourne perhaps a little irrigation, but yeah, that's yeah right. certainly up where you are, that's, that's fantastic. indicative
3: of, of um, what it can take. Yeah. yeah, so
2: it is quite a good hardy plant. Mm. It grows fairly quickly, um, and. Uh, Its bright orange flowers stand out well in the shade um, and it's very manageable. You can just trim it, cut it, prune it, shape it tie it back where you want Its stems are quite brittle so if you are actually trying to wind it through fence wire or something uh, it's very easy to snap it's good so
3: you can prune it when you've forgotten your secateurs well
2: you can you can just go crack (laughs) crack crack crack. Uh,
3: very easy to prune Uh,
2: and I think it's a charming plant and you just don't see it used terribly much it's not easy to present well in a pot because it has these long rangy branches that go everywhere Uh, so I try desperately to keep it looking as neat as I can in a pot but growing along a fence or wall it can look really really effective Mm. Uh, and I think it's a it's a great plant. And I'm always on the lookout, I don't know quite why, but I'm always on the lookout for things that are in that Gesneriaceae family, the African violet family, that are cold hardy. And there's a surprising number of them. There's some really interesting rosetting alpines. And there's things like this Matraria that's sort of a scanded climary shrub. There's a few epiphytic things that come from South America that you are in the family that I can grow. Um, and... It is a, a family with some really intriguing plants in it. Mm. I mean, the giant flowering gloxinias are in the same family.
3: They, they do really well. Yeah. yeah.
2: You know, so there's, there's a whole range of weird plants in the African violet family. And certainly these tubular flowered things, um, uh, most of them are tropical, but the uh, matrari is
3: not. And- Just looking at that thing, it'll be nice with the gypsy Queen, the clematis. It actually could, yes. It yeah. could look very good with that. This yeah. sort of rich purple of Gypsy
2: Queen and this rich orange of the, right. of the Matraria would be yeah. a really good combination. So it's probably one of those plants you won't see around the nursery trade very often. Uh, I don't sell an awful lot of it because it's hard to keep it looking neat and tidy. Um, but I think it's a very worthy plant. Yeah. And uh, people should consider it more. And I remember buying it when I first got it, believe it or not, I bought it from the old Williams nursery that was at Chadston. Uh, when the old Chadston Shopping Centre was there and the uh, Williams Nursery was out on the outside edge of it. uh, And I remember buying this, and I must have been 19 or something at the time, I remember buying this and my first Stachyris praecox. I bought from them. So that was sort of a shopping centre nursery and yet they had interesting things. Yeah. That sort of doesn't happen much anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually yes, I was probably being even uh, a little too fair. I don't yeah. think it happens at all. Right. I think you're right. I think that's yeah. right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Um, but yeah, it was a great little nursery yeah. there, and they had some really interesting things and they had their sort of uh, Danny Nong's division as well. So of course they were bringing interesting stuff down to Chadston. Yeah. Um, and I was doing my training at Oakley Tech School at the time. Uh, so it was one of those places I used to stalk around and see what they had. So, yeah, I think my original Matraria, and this is probably one of its offspring. Cutting from it all. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. uh, that I got when I was a 19-year-old. So it obviously survives the frost
3: and mess of them. It
2: comes through the cold very well. Yeah. um, Never seems to be bothered by it. Obviously, it likes a little bit of shade and does better under things, so Mm. it probably doesn't get as much frost on it as some of my other plants would get. Um, But um, nonetheless, it seems to be pretty cold hardy. Yep. So, um, yeah, I think it would work quite well. And, I mean, it could even be grown in a large basket. I mean, I could see it as a basket plant as well, sort of trailing out of a hanging basket. I was gonna
3: think, say that, yeah, it could be a good basket yeah. plant. Well, I mean,
2: yeah. that's only in a 20 centimetre pot, and it's a huge plant. It's taken yeah. over most of the studio. <laughs> yes. uh, and it's still perfectly healthy, growing like mad. Um, so, obviously not, even though it's pot's probably full of roots by now. Yeah, uh, relatively. But not, not not feeling stressed or anything or starting mm. to look root-bound. So yeah, so it could be a very good basket plant if you wanted something for a basket that probably wouldn't need as much watering as a fuchsia. Yes. You know, and and flowers for every bit as long
3: probably. No, a fuchsia would be turning over on the tips. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah so yeah, so Matraria coccinea, and I think its common name is mitre flower. Okay. Because uh, it apparently has a flower shaped like uh, the hat of a Catholic clergy called a mitre. Oh. So that's what I read. <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't quite get the connection. I don't get no, the I connection either. <laughs> yeah. But anyhow, it's a nice thing. Yeah. And and that I do att- love that attractive? orange. It seems to be. Yeah. Uh, the little honey eaters and things will, will go browsing over it. Yeah. Although I think they will go past this to get at my agapetes. Yes. Um, they're even more popular amongst the birds. Yeah. And Himalayan agapetes seem very popular with the honey eaters. Uh, but yeah, anything with tubular orange flowers is likely to attract your honey eaters. Mm. Yeah.
4: Yep. Yep.
2: Great. So they're all the plants I brought along this morning. Seems to
3: be a big question in the nursery these days. Is bird attractive and bee attractive? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, find, and so, it should, yeah. And so it should be. Absolutely. It's a good thing. so it should be. People
2: yep. should be encouraging wildlife into the garden, yep. um, be it bees, hoverflies and other insects or our feathered friends. Absolutely. Mm. Yes, yep. I attract the scrub wrens into my office because I make sure I'm a messy eater. <laughs> they are coming for crumbs, do Yeah, they? yeah when, I, when I'm having lunch, I always sprinkle a few crumbs on the floor and I've now got scrub that will come in and hop around my feet <laughs> and pick up the crumbs or a little bit of cheese I might have dropped out of my salad roll or whatever yeah. on purpose uh, and uh, they often come in in the morning when there's no crumbs left looking up at me as if to say all right where are they <laughs> so yes, yeah, so I've got them fantastic. well trained Or they've got me well trained mm. one or the other fantastic <laughs> yeah, we've got
3: a cat coming into the garden at the moment which is a bit alarming ah. oh don't yes. know quite what to do about that yes well the scrub wrens wouldn't like that no they wouldn't <laughs> the cat would like them yes yes, yes. Well, uh. certainly oh dear mm. It's just has something that hasn't happened for a long time. But yeah, or well, some neighbour of yours has moved in a, with Someone's
1: one. moved yeah. in, yes. Uh, and yeah.
2: the cat has taken over your place as yeah. part of its territory. That's right. Mm. Uh, oh, great. Uh, yeah. Yes, well, it's all very well to have your own cat, but to inflict it on other people...
3: It's, it's an outrage. I, it infuriates me yeah. that I should have to put up with this creature coming and killing my wildlife. Yeah. Uh. Oh, dear.
10: Oh, well...
1: You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot, which means that uh, if you do want to ask a gardening question this morning, you have time to jump on the phone line. The number to call is nine four one nine zero one double five to speak to the team on air or to have a chat to Liz on the outside line, One 8377. One... Uh, one notice here that i haven't mentioned this morning yet which i should quickly do is uh the friends of burnley gardens have got a christmas plant sale coming up so if you're looking for um a plant as a gift for friends or family uh they've got a huge christmas plant sale coming up on wednesday the 9th of december 12 through till 3 p.m and they've got a range of native exotic and produce plants The location is outside the main building uh, of Burnley Campus. Uh, There's paid parking on Yarra Boulevard, which is Melway's map 45, um, X872. And uh, if you want to look at the plant list of what they've got for sale, you can go to their website, which is www.fobg.org.au, and they've got the full plant list there online for you to browse through before Wednesday the 9th of December.
2: Always a good idea, that, so you can get a sense of what you're going to be going in to get.
1: Exactly, yes. Um, uh, they'd,
3: they'd do some interesting things, wouldn't
2: they?
1: Oh, I would imagine yeah. so, yeah.
2: Well, yes. Yes, I haven't been to one of the Burnley plant sales, but uh, I do know that um, uh, occasionally Fran will bring some of the bits and pieces they've been propagating at Burnley along to the GPCA auction, and she okay. often has some interesting stuff yeah. that, that comes in. So, yeah. So I'm sure that they'll have some very... Unique and interesting, non-commercially sort of plants there.
1: I mean, plant sales that are held by any of the um, the gardens or the you know the botanic gardens, mm. they usually have some wonderful plants there mm. on offer that you mightn't be able to get elsewhere. So,
3: and all things that have been grown in Melbourne gardens. So, yeah, yeah, so
1: fully acclimatized. That's right. yeah. yeah, exactly. And because they've propagated them, the people that are there on hand for the plant sale can actually tell you the habits. They can probably show you a mature form of it in the garden, so you can see yeah. mm. heights, widths, whatever. So, great yeah, idea. Yeah, it's a
2: good idea. Yeah. Yeah,
1: excellent. So, what's coming up for you pre-Christmas?
2: I don't know. Well... Well,
1: apart from from Plants Trust.
2: Yes, well, we've got the Plants Trust Christmas party coming up next Sunday. But, uh, yes, and apart from that, I guess uh, there's a few sort of Christmassy function things coming up. The Alpine Garden Society's got their annual bun fight coming up in about a fortnight, which I might try and get to this year. I haven't been to a bun fight for a while. They're great fun because people bring along things they've grown and they're all placed out on a bench. And you get a chance to wander around and see what's there. And then they ring a bell or... A whistle or whatever at a certain time, and then you can go in and grab the plants you want, uh, and your are <laughs> elbows
1: to, to the fore Oh yeah, yeah.
2: Everybody <laughs> wants the same thing. Yes, yeah. Well, I have right. seen some <laughs> bun fights where they have been quite literally bun fights, <laughs> uh, and it's great fun. And uh, uh, you know, and the. Sort of rules are that you take about the same amount of things you bring, so so that people don't get too greedy and take more than their fair yep, share. Yeah, uh, But it's great fun, and there's all sorts of interesting plants that the the Alpine Group are growing because mm. they grow things from seed that they get from the seed lists and all that sort of stuff. Yep. Uh, so that's coming up, and I'm going to try and get down for that as well. Mm. Um, and in the meantime, just try and keep on top of stuff. Yes, uh, so it's you know, sort of coming uh, up
3: to the propagating season now. Yeah, I've it?
2: already started putting in a few cuttings yeah. as well. So some things, I actually, I've already propagated, struck, and got potted out, and I hadn't tried it for years, Actinidia kolomikta. Okay. I put them in as really early cuttings, yeah. so they were really soft. This is a, a kiwi fruit that's grown more for its foliage than its fruit, and it gets sort of pink or white tips to the ends of the leaves, okay. and it's a lovely, lovely thing, and um, I thought I'd try some really early cuttings on that, so mm. I whacked in some cuttings under the fogger, um, And they were struck about a fortnight. They are up into tubes already. So this is this year's stuff. And they're just starting to send out their new shoots from the tubes. And I reckon I'll have them saleable by the autumn.
3: Goodness me. That's quick. It is quick. I'm very very impressed with those. Yeah, I'm just sort of at the stage of wandering around the garden. Yeah, oh, yes. Testing tips.
2: Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Well, I've actually got to the point in life where I find with a fogger you can do much earlier cuttings. You can do them greener. Yeah, so they can be much, much softer. Yeah. Um, And so I'm actually trying out a lot of things as very softwood cuttings just to see how they go. Because if you can get them struck from softwood cuttings, it often happens really quickly. Yep. And you can often get a second break of growth on them in the same season so that even if you don't get them, say, out of the tubes by the autumn, you have at least go into the autumn with a well-advanced plant with strong roots. system, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because I find with a lot of deciduous plants, if you propagate too late... You get them struck, you pop them up, they go into their winter dormancy and some things just don't break it. You lose
3: 50% yeah, of them. they
2: just yep. collapse. Yep. Uh, and so my plan now is just to try and get as many of those things struck as early as I can mm-hmm. to see if I can get the second break of growth on them yep. so that they'll go into winter and then hopefully I won't get okay. the same losses. Yes. But you do need the equipment to do it. You do need to have the mist spray yep. or the fogger or whatever yep. and probably a little gentle bottom heat yep. to move things really fast. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, you've got to harden them off when you take them out so yep. that they don't... Collapse
3: Trials of a nursery Oh, God,
2: yes You know, (laughs) people say Oh, it must
3: be so lovely Running your own nursery But it can be quite challenging It's devastating When you strike a a bob load of cuttings and lose the whole lot. Oh, yeah. Sort of rubbing your hands together, thinking, this is going to be nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: and that happens to me fairly frequently. That's right. Particularly (laughs) if it's something that you really want. Yeah. You know, although, you know, sometimes it's through no fault of your own, like when the bunny gets in and you've Mm. just potted up a whole pile of struck cuttings and you come in the next day and it looks like somebody's been through with a brush cutter and a bunny's gone across and eaten the tops off everything. And you go, oh. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. Primary producing is not that easy, even in the nurseries. yeah. Mm, but there you go.
1: Okay, let's go to, uh, let's see, Anna, who's out in East Bentley. Morning, Anna.
10: Good morning. How are you? We're well. Oh, that's good. Um, i got a little whole house and I want to ask you how, what, uh, how I should look after it. Was, uh, I don't know. It's the first time I have it. In. I planted some tomatoes yeah. in, and some cucumbers and some capsicum. The tomatoes, they go on about half a metre tall, but they get flowers and they look all right. And, but after the leaves, they go light yellow to dark brown and they die dying off.
2: So you're losing the lower leaves, are you?
10: Yes, yes. But it still goes up and up until, I mean, you, you get new leaves on the top, more dye at the bottom while it's going up. Now,
2: that is a, an issue, Pam, you, do you know what to do with that when the tomato leaves die from the bottom up? No. I haven't had that problem in my garden, but I know it's some sort of fungal or viral thing.
1: Right. Uh, tomato wilt, I think, is Yeah, it?
2: something like that. Yes. I'm not dead sure, but it, it, it doesn't sound good. Yeah. Uh, and if it's starting this early in the season, yeah. um, it could actually stop the tomatoes from functioning as a... Yeah, the,
10: the, the, uh, the flowers don't form after an... Uh and I don't get the tomatoes, the fruit to grow. Yeah, well,
2: yeah. I... Personally, if I was in Melbourne, I'd be using my tomatoes outdoors. I wouldn't be putting them in a greenhouse yes. um, because, I mean, I'd start them off in the greenhouse potentially, but I would actually okay. take my tomatoes yes. outside afterwards because I think with the summer temperatures we're getting these days, yes. greenhouses just get too hot. You'd have oh. fungal issues, would you? And you would have yes, fungal would issues have fungal because issues. you don't oh. have enough air circulating. Yeah, and Do You did
10: not should leave the windows open at night. I open two windows during the day, one yeah.
2: on each. Yeah, day look, day. I would keep the windows open permanently now. It's yeah it's, it's yes. not cold enough to worry about cold uh-huh. uh, and so i'd try and get as much circulation into your greenhouse right. as you can
3: yeah i mean i opened the windows on my polytunnel mm. a month ago and they stay open right through until the first cold weather mm. yeah oh, okay. to get a bit of circulation through it yes yeah.
1: and i also wouldn't i wouldn't um, have them placed too close to each other you yeah. really need that air circulation yeah.
10: Because it gets a lot of moisture when I go in the morning, it's a lot of drops of water. Yes, yeah.
1: this, which is why they're going to be so prone to fungal issues.
3: Mm. The glass house is really good for propagation, for getting mm. things started. Yeah, I don't see the point of, of
2: greenhouses for growing on vegetables in our sort of climate. Yeah. I can understand it in England and other places like that where they have a much colder climate. Oh, wow. uh, but in our climate, I think, you know, it's... There's all sorts of risks. I tried it oh, even yeah. at Macedon for tomatoes in a little greenhouse for the yeah. first couple of years when I started veggie gardening, and I got white fly like you wouldn't oh, believe. Yes. And, oh. and it was just so hard to keep things in good oh, okay. condition uh, that I, my greenhouse is now a storage shed, oh,
10: yeah. basically. Because there was a high bed in a closet over with the plastic to see if we can grow early tomatoes. Mm.
2: Yeah, well, see, if it's got a removable plastic, I would actually take the plastic off.
10: Oh, no, it's not a removable. Oh, Uh, (laughs)
2: okay. Yeah, because that's another way you can do it is start your tomatoes off early, yes, and get them started. Yep. Then take the roof off your greenhouse and then just treat it as a sort of a framework.
1: Yeah, but if you've started them off in the greenhouse, you're going to have to shift them outside during the daytime first to harden them off a bit, put them back in at night and then gradually get them into your garden. But I certainly wouldn't be leaving them in there.
10: Um, uh, but I make it especially to grow <laughs> tomatoes in there this year. And, um, and I found it hard now because I
2: can't keep up with it. Yeah, look, yeah. It, it's very hard work to grow greenhouse fruit mm. and vegetables. It is.
10: Yeah. Anyhow, what, what fellas should give them in there?
2: Well, you'd feed them in the get same... way.
10: some manure.
2: Yeah, you'd feed them in just the same way as you would if oh, you had no. them out in the garden. So oh, you no. can use the sort of chicken poultry manure type okay. things. You can use cow manure, blood and bone, uh-huh. uh, well-rotted compost, any of those things yeah. can go around them. Um, you might want to put down um, uh, some trace elements or something just uh, to give... Ex-
10: how often I give them manure or compost or fertilizer in there?
2: Well, it depends on what you're using, but I wouldn't do it too often. I mean,
10: What well, about fertilizer? How often?
2: Oh, just- No more than perhaps once a month.
10: Once a month, the dry one and the liquid one.
2: Well, liquid fertilizers generally are milder, so you can use them slightly more often. Okay. Um, but you'd keep them sort of diluted down. But be careful you don't overfeed. A lot of people yeah. get carried yes. away, and they, you know, they're feeding practically every week. Um, and even if the plant survives such attention, uh, they often become weak and spindly because they're they they're being pushed too hard.
10: Well, I haven't given them any fertilizer or manure, but they look strong. But mm. they only they get that trouble on the leaves and the.
1: I'd maybe just give them uh, a bit of liquid feed. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. just so to keep them a spray the going.
3: A sea salt power well, feed, or yeah, yeah,
2: something like that. Yeah. And, and I would throw some uh, some um, trace elements around as well. Yes. Because right. it might help balance things a bit. So buy a packet of trace elements right. and sprinkle them around as directed on the packet. Uh, ah. You don't use vast amounts of it and water it in, uh, and it can help balance your soils a bit. Well,
10: she would spray the leaves with liquid fertiliser, or no?
2: Yeah, you can spray yeah. the leaves with yeah. liquid yeah. fertiliser. Yeah, uh, but, but with things like tomatoes and things, I would do it in the morning. I wouldn't do it in the a- evening because right. yeah. uh, then the plants will go into the into the night wet.
10: Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do it in the morning. Yeah. 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 And about that mulch, you think I should give some sugar mulch or something like that.
2: Well, it doesn't hurt. Never it never hurts. Yeah, it never hurts. So, yeah, a little bit of sugarcane mulch or something like that. It'll will keep just the, retain the moisture yeah, in the yeah. soil then. And there. maybe keep the soil a bit cooler if it's in a greenhouse. Yes. So, it might so help are us, you, yeah.
10: I water every couple of days. Is that enough for it?
2: Well, if the plants are standing up and looking yes. fine. Just yeah.
1: stick your finger into the pot and yes. test, you know. Mm. You'll soon know I've if, got it, them if it's still moist. i in a high
10: bed. They're not in the pot.
2: They're yeah, they're in a the bed. Oh, okay. Yep, yep, yep.
1: Okay. Yeah, well, again, just just feel around. Dig down a little
10: bit. Near, okay. Yeah, because if
2: they're still moist, you don't need to top up.
10: No. Yeah, all right. Okay. Okay, okay thanks very much for your help. It's okay. a pleasure. Bye-bye.
1: And uh, we'll go next to uh, Jill out in East Malvern. Morning, Jill.
0: Hi. Hi, everybody. Um, Stephen and Craig, I wonder if you can tell me um, if Irish you and Japanese you have the same botanic name or no. different botanic no, names. No, different
3: botanic names. Yeah. Yeah,
2: the Irish ews are Taxus, Taxus baccata, and the Irish forms, which are the pencily ones, are Taxus baccata fastigiata. And oh, can you just the
4: Japanese that again?
2: Taxes, say the second part again. Taxes Bacata, B A C A T A. Yes. Fastigiata, which means pencil like.
0: Oh, can you, that's the bit I can't get. F-A-S-T-I-G A T A.
2: Fastigiata. Oh, fastigiata. Yeah, yeah,
0: I've got it now. Sorry. Yeah,
2: yeah so that's the what Irish. You uh the Japanese new there's, it's a bit confusing because there is actually a true taxus that comes from Japan. Yeah. So there is a Japanese U per se, but what is being sold around the trades generally as a Japanese plum U is a thing called cephalotaxus. Oh, can
0: you just C-E-P-H. Uh, say
2: that slowly? Pardon? Cephalotaxis.
0: You the last bit a bit too fast, Stephen. You, you're giving me more... Well,
2: more, it's the um, same as the other one. It's still taxis. It's still taxis. It's just cephalotaxis. Ta-
0: cephalotaxis. Yeah. Oh. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, so it's cephalotaxis, um, and I think it's Harringtoniana fastigiata. But anyhow, the pencil form of the Japanese U is a cephalotaxis, the Irish ewe is a taxus.
3: And the, the cephalotaxus are much hardier on oh, much think, tougher plan. than the Irish ewe. Mm. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, that's very good because the um, the Japanese one is in a uh, tougher position than the Irish one. Yeah. That's just by pure chance.
8: Yeah, well, I have to side side of say, of I've
2: stopped stocking group. the Irish ewes because they have a tendency to collapse and die for no apparent reason oh. in the nursery pots. Well, they self seed oh, everywhere really. in yeah. the hills. And so I just. Have given away on them, but I do stock, although I've run out at the moment, but I do stock the Japanese yew because it will in fact grow in a much wider range of conditions and it doesn't seem to get this instant dieback thing that yeah. seems to happen with the Irish yews. And it'll grow I've in actually, dry shade.
0: I've actually struck four yew plants from the Irish one. Yeah. Just small one. And uh, yeah, so I'll level them on in the herbs. but This is Jill from the herbs yes. I'll put them on sale at the Herbs Society at some stage, I guess, or give them to people who crave to have a yew tree.
2: <laughs> yes, well, I guess they could be tenuously considered herbs uh, because they are used medicinally. Um, okay. There is yeah. uh, a chemical in use called Taxol, which I think is used in, um, in cancer work, uh, and you can actually eat the fruit of a female yew as long as you spit out
3: the seed. Birds certainly like them.
2: Yeah, and they're quite sweet, but Mm. you do have to spit out the seed because apparently the seed is toxic, but the flesh around the seed isn't. And I've eaten them, and I'm still here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Jill? Very, very cute. Well, thank you very much for all that. It's a pleasure. Bye. Bye.
2: We need to go.
1: (laughs) We do need to go. Um, Very quickly for listeners, Craig, um, your nursery is open apart from Tuesdays still? Yeah,
3: closed on Tuesdays, 138 Alinda-Mombok Road in Alinda.
1: And Stephen, of course, you're closed Wednesdays Wednesdays and and Thursdays. Thursdays. Yes,
2: that's my weekend. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And I'm open from 10 till 5 uh, and it's 686 Mount Macedon Road, right next to the General Store.
1: Fantastic. Okay, We'll, of course, uh, be back uh, next week at 7.30. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent
9: community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.